0: Oh, fudge. That's broken. Fiddle-dee-dee! That will require a tetanus shot. I'm not going to swear, but I am going to kick this doghouse down! The Simpsons!
1: Hello and welcome to The Simpsons Countdown, the podcast where we go back to the beginning and watch all of The Simpsons, tracing the creative evolution of the series and counting down to find the exact moment in which it began its downhill journey into irrelevance. I'm Eric's Antoine. This week I'm here with Petrus, my good friend who is a Bolivian writer and a musician. We will be discussing Bart the Lover, which originally aired on February 13th, 1992, just in time for Valentine's Day, of course. In this episode, Bart gets a month's detention after breaking the class fish tank with a yo-yo. To get even with Mrs. Krabappel, he responds to her personal ad pretending to be a man named Woodrow. And she actually falls for it. The episode was written by John Vitti and directed by Carlos Baeza. And Petrus and I are about to get into it. Stick around. So, yeah, so here we are to talk about Bart the Lover. Now, you really like this episode, right?
0: I love season three, I think. Seasons one and two are great, but it only keeps getting better. And seasons three, four, and five are just magnificent. And I really love this episode.
1: This is the first episode to focus on Krabappel, right? Uh, So it's a a big deal for the writers. They wanted to try something different. One thing, you were talking about how uh, season three is where it really gets... It starts to get really good. You know, season one and two, you've got some classic episodes there. But here in season three is where things really start to pick up and it starts to become a a better show. So, and one of the things is that they start to explore the world more. They start to explore the world of uh, Springfield. And we start to get more episodes that focus on other characters. Like it starts to become a little bit more focused on just the world in general. So here they decide to focus a little bit on the character of Mrs. Krabappel, kind of flesh her out a little bit. And I think it's an interesting story, but what I'm wondering is, what is it about this episode that you like so much? I mean,
0: first of all, I, I love the fact that it's focused on Krabappel. She's a good, great character. And, but I think the fact that they already established the main characters, especially Bart in this case, it it's it helps um, you know explore the the other characters and flesh them out from you know the main character's perspective in a way. But I love the episode like from the, throughout like from the very beginning, the first part about the zinc, the, the you know the, like the the clip with the the the, the kid from the fifties. That part is just great.
1: That's a really funny. You're right. It's a really funny. Um... He I always to, found that really funny. He tries to kill himself.
0: It's crazy that they didn't ban that part. <laughs> that could have been censored. That yeah, well, I mean,
1: in, in this day and age, maybe it would have been. Um, it's it, it's intriguing that you're right. I mean, there, there's stuff there that they play for laughs. And that, that whole intro, it's a parody of like one of those old educational videos. Tries to shoot himself,
0: but he doesn't have bullets because they're made out of zinc or something.
1: Right, no, I, think it was, it was, I think it was the firing pin. I think it's the firing pin in the gun or something like that's made of zinc. Uh, it's a
0: great scene. It's, it's, it, it doesn't have anything to do with the, the rest of the episode, but it, the fact that it looks, it's black and white, and it's one of those old educational films, it just, I, I thought it was a great introduction. A great first scene but it has nothing to do with the rest. Right. But then when the episode actually starts, and she, Crabapple is looking through this, like a magazine or something. And that first montage was, when she's like her bleak, depressing life. And she's like, oh, I need a man. It's, it's, I thought it was beautiful. It's because, you know, you have to think this was even before Bridget Jones, right? It's that, that kind yeah. of character you're creating. And I thought it was just such a beautiful, portrayal of that frustrated uh, divorced woman in her 40s or something and I just loved the the, the whole approach to to the character and of course the other bits like the subplots uh, the yo-yo thing and uh, the swear words the swear jar um, are funny but I think that the the main plot is just so strong you don't even need to like uh, divert your your attention to the others the others like subplots are, are just there for, for kicks you know anywhere because sometimes simpsons their they're like secondary uh, plots are just so strong they sometimes um they they they're even better than the first one you know than, than, their, than their main story uh, but in this case you know the the the, the crab apple bar thing is just so beautiful you don't. You don't even need the other thing, the other stuff. But uh, still, still, you have a few really good moments there. There's this other gag. The, the kids are playing with the with the, the yo-yos, and uh, one of the tricks Bart does is called plucking the pickle. That's reference to masturbation.
1: Well, it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm going like the Bart's big yo-yo trick, the one that gets him in trouble. Where he ends up breaking the uh, he ends up breaking the, the the fish tank, right? He goes like, "It's a little something I call plucking the pickle," and I'm saying like, "Like I know what that means," and I knew I knew what that meant in 1992. You know, like it's it's. So I'm surprised that they got away with it. Like I'm surprised they got away with that. Uh, they got that past the censors because there's there's a, there's a couple of things. They did get away with everything back then like uh, on one level like the thing with the gun right like the thing with the gun uh apparently at the time they sure standards and practices were a little bit like hang on a second this is a primetime show you're going to open with a gag about a kid trying to kill himself it's a little Ugh. and and i think they they managed to get past it by saying well he doesn't actually point it at his head but he uh, does yes. he does point but, it at his
0: head I read that, but he actually, it's pointed right at his temple, right? Right, right, uh, right. It's, it's like he does point at it his head, so... Wouldn't get away with that today. Yeah, that's yeah. for sure.
1: Well, certainly not in, like, a primetime family... Uh, family-oriented show. Uh, this wasn't aimed at kids, but it was a primetime show aimed at a family audience to a certain level, so it's the sort of thing where you can tell that they... you know, they were pushing the envelope. Now... They would not go there, probably. Like if they were doing one today, but um, but yeah, what you're saying about like the way that the you have the it's got a bunch of subplots and it's got the main story, which is about you know the, the main the main plot, which focuses on Krabappel and the whole thing with Bart and the personal ads and all of that. It's a very it's it is a well written plot. It's a very well written kind of story, and the character development is um, is realistic. And so because of all of that. It's actually genuinely affecting. You get to know this woman and she's realistically portrayed as a frustrated middle-aged woman. You know, a, a woman in her we can assume either mid-30s, early 40s, you know, the, her her age is not stated, but we can we can assume she's like between the ages of 35 and 40. And we know yeah. she's divorced. Yeah, we know she's divorced.
0: And I like the, the fact that you know Bart is like first, he's the plumber and then he's like a bartender. But yeah. The, yeah. the kind of attitude where like tell me about your problems ma'am and he's cleaning <laughs> right, up right like, just, Yeah. I just love this report they have and, and yeah and even if she doesn't really know you know they, they have this connection and I, and I love that about the episode and of course the other stuff you know like Woodrow Woodrow is such a perfect name man it's the perfect name and the, the fact that it's like a, a hockey player the, the those details are, are are just amazing, you know, and um, and the subplot, you know, the the swearing thing. Apparently, people were actually complaining
1: about the swearing. It's a response yeah. to complaints that they had received, right? Complaints that the yeah. that the showrunners had received from like parents and people who felt that that uh, yeah, yeah, but, the language was too edgy or whatever. So they said, let's do let's do a joke yeah. about it. stuff like,
0: goddammit, I don't know. Right, uh, but they actually receiving complaints, so they they wanted to like make fun of it and or like acknowledge the fact that they were
1: doing it. Actually, the thing about the swear jar, I mean, you're you're right. I think that the subplots, in other words, the the swear jar subplot is like the main subplot, and it is very funny. And basically, that's where you get all the laughs, because the story, the central storyline, although there are laughs there too, there are some like you know there's there's intellectual humor let's call it but it is more of like a dramatic character story and so and but it's a, it's a character story that works it's like a genuinely affecting story because you get you get very invested in Krobopel's plight like you you come to really appreciate her as a character and you come yeah. to appreciate her situation in a realistic way like you go like you the way the story builds by the time Bart has completed his revenge, you know, because that's the whole. What we what we realize is that that's that's Bart's plan. He's going to kind of reel her, you know, hook her in, seduce her, get her like like to ask him out on a on like a date and stand her up. Like that's the plan, right? And so by the time it gets to that point, you genuinely feel bad for Mrs. Krabappel. The whole
0: episode revolves around the, the final scene, and apparently James L Brooks he wanted the whole family to to be a part of you know, writing the letter. And I
1: thought it's, it's a beautiful, memorable scene. Yeah, you're right, that that final, the, the third act sequence, as it were, like when the whole family gets together to write the letter. Yeah, that was um, largely influenced by James L. Brooks. James L. Brooks, and in the first two seasons, you really see his influence with these sort of, like, dramedy elements, where it's like, it's a comedy, but it has, like, this sweet side to it, and yes. it, ref- it reflects the kinds of films that he would make, right? So, like, like you'll see that sort of disappear. Like, it, it starts to go away as we go further into the show, because yeah. those, that type of stuff, it occasionally, you'll see it pop up here and there. You know, that dramatic stuff, that, like, sweet, those sweet little buttons, they'll pop in here and there, but... As far as it being that pronounced, that like earnest, that sweet, this really it, it it really starts to dissipate in this season. But anytime you see that in an episode, you can be sure that James L. Brooks had a hand in it. And so, in this case, it's very much like something out of a James L. Brooks movie. You know, the whole family getting together and writing this this love letter. so the the whole ending is actually very um, it's very affecting the whole the whole climactic element of the show the way that Bart in a sense sort of saves her because she's like heartbroken. You know, she got stood up by this guy, but then like she gets this beautiful love letter from him that says goodbye. And it's like, you know, the whole thing is built very well, where it's not, it's not corny. It's it's like, it's nice.
0: When they attempt to, to do this uh, later, you know, later on in the show, sometimes it just feels sappy and like, not genuine in this case i i I think it just it feels right you know and you're actually you're involved and you you want you don't want this woman to ache so bad you know it's a very moving moment it doesn't feel uh corny like that and and sometimes Mm. they actually do they they don't know how to like manage the sweet and sour moments uh but in this case they actually i think i think it's they do it beautifully
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to uh, good writing. And, uh, yeah, good writing, because, like, you have a storyline, you have a story that is well-constructed. So because of that, because it's such a well-written story, and because the character development is genuine, and since it's focused on this whole thing, the the idea is that, you know, Bart is trying to get back at Krabappel for the detention. But as that's happening, he actually is developing a relationship with her. Um, At the same time, not a romantic relationship, obviously, but like just a relationship as a friend, you know, it's it's actually happening. He's becoming um, Her friend in a sense like everything that you said the the way they do it very subtly by having him be either the plumber or the bartender or whatever Just making small talk that sort of thing Um, He's he's developing a genuine relationship. So by the end of it what he comes to realize of course is that even though he started out with this plan of playing a really mean prank on her. By the end, he realizes that he, he has come to care about her as a person and feels really bad that she's hurt. So the reason why it doesn't come off as sappy is because the, because the episode earns it. The episode yeah. earns that, earns that ending, earns the emotion. Apparently the yo-yo thing, is like apparently like it's a real thing like that they would do in schools in the U.S. And I went to school in the U.S. and that like, I I never had that experience. I never had a yo-yo company come to school and like demonstrate yo-yos. Did you ever have anything like that? No, I mean, but yeah, it was like
0: the 90s, right? Maybe in the 70s. But it does feel, even for 92, it does feel like anachronistic in a way, right?
1: Well, it feels a little bit anachronistic, but I can, I can speak to from a Bolivian point of view. I do remember, okay, that around 91, I guess, yeah, it would have been, or 90, this would have been 90 or 91, there was a campaign. I was here on vacation, and at that time, I do remember that there was this Coca-Cola thing where, you know, you, you had to collect the bottle caps and you could trade them in for yo-yos. And the yo-yos had like, uh, you know, Coca-Cola logos. Sprite, Fanta, Coca-Cola, whatever. It was like a a yo-yo collection. And this is like 91, okay? Because I'm I'm pretty sure. It's around the time of this episode. Uh, And that's here, that's here in Bolivia. Now, I don't know that they went and like, went to schools and demonstrated them, Uh, but I know that like my cousin was collecting them, you know? So there was like this yo-yo craze going on at that time. So maybe this maybe they took a page from maybe that same thing was happening in other parts. But maybe like maybe in elementary schools. Like I, I like I don't know. But I it just seems weird to me. I don't recall being into yo-yos as a kid.
0: Maybe they did demonstrations, but not exactly with yo-yos. It was more like, I don't know, rollerblades or something like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't. I'm trying to remember, like, because there were things like that, you know, like the yeah. groups would come to the school and demonstrate stuff for the school. I remember the stuff like that, but I never remember like it being a yo-yo thing, like that. That's not some, but apparently, yeah, companies did do that. But you're right; it was probably like in the '70s. I, don't, I don't think it happened in the '90s. The the way that we see in this, it seems to be something from like the writers' childhoods. But again, yeah. I do want to point out that in like. In the early 90s, in Bolivia, at some point, there was a kind of yo-yo fad. This is the dawning of the age of, Aquarius, age of It's like the show started out wanting to paint the teachers as kind of villains, you know, quote unquote, the, the authority figures for the kids, because it has that sort of... Uh, rebellious streak the series you know the 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 writers put that into the show where it's like yeah well you know school and you know the anti-authoritarian streak and authority figures are are a mess and whatever but for all of that when you if anytime they, they actually focus on the characters anytime they actually focus on let's say principal skinner or mrs kravapel anytime they focus on them as characters it's always to flesh them out and make them sympathetic And I've always found that to be very interesting, like for for all the like the rebelliousness that supposedly they would have and like the whole anti-authoritarian and, you know, against school like, you know, they were probably the rebellious kids when they were in school. So they this is reflected in the way that they write, you know, the the school situation. Um, They never really, you know, the, the teachers themselves are portrayed uh, in a sympathetic way, they're portrayed as cogs in a in a greater machine kind of thing. I think that that's good. I think that's an interesting um, element. I think it's it's easier to just make Krabappel a villain, you know. But when you when you make her this fully rounded, sympathetic character, you it, it really brings a lot of dimension to the show.
0: But even from in terms of when you're fleshing out a character like Bart and you're you're exploring his environment you know the kid is a pain in the ass right
1: mm-hmm.
0: he's bound to peep, to piss some people off just picture the situation like being this kid's teacher must be difficult you know yeah and it, it's a human point of view it doesn't it had nothing to do with authority it's you know lisa is a great student and she yeah. she's a good person and you you would for her and you want her to you know, and and she's a vegetarian and she plays the sax, but she's a good student. So that authority thing doesn't always, um, it it, it applies mostly to Bart, but even so, you have to ask yourself, I mean, is this kid really, I mean, would I be patient with this kid if I was his teacher? I wouldn't, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, that's actually a good, that's actually a very good point because, Obviously, when this show first came out, I was a kid myself. I will—I was already like a teenager, basically, or preteen. So I was older than Bart, but I was a kid. But my point is, you're right. It's different to see it from the from the perspective of a kid, right? Who has that point of view of authority and of the adult figures, right? And who maybe is in Bart's shoes. It's a little bit different when you watch the episode now. And now I'm like Mrs. Krabappel's age, let's say, right? And I have I have worked as a teacher and I've been a teacher of kids and I've been in an environment like that where, like, I'm Mrs. Kravopoul or I'm Principal Skinner, you know. And so now I'm like, yeah, I get it now. Like what what you're saying, like, makes sense. I get it now. I get it now. You know, it's like I get it. I'm like, okay, yes, Bart is a pain in the ass. He's not I mean, he's not a bad person, but he's a pain in the ass as a kid. He's a he's a a handful. You got to deal with him.
0: And when you're a teacher yourself, you, you've been there even in terms of, oh, God, I'm just going to play these, these kids a clip from the 50s.
1: <laughs> I really don't want to do this today. Yeah. No, I, I, I and I, I can sympathize with that, too, because it's like anyone who will have worked as a teacher at any point knows that you're sort of praying for that moment. You know, that, that moment where like, oh, you know, today we just we're just going to watch a fucking movie. That's all we're going to do
0: today. And now when you see the episode, years later, you can, you can actually see both sides yourself, right? Yeah. You, you were younger, you were just, you know, you didn't really care. And you just, I remember watching it when I was a kid, like the funniest part was like, oh, I am gay, you know? I well, just, yeah. No, it just obviously. cracked me up.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Now,
0: I just, these other details I find enjoyable. And I think it's just beautifully written episode.
1: Yeah, well, actually, that's 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 also a good point because you're right. I mean, even um, even back then, I was gonna I was gonna bring that up. <laughs> the part that I always remembered about this episode, the part that I always liked, my favorite part of the episode, was the whole thing with the swear jar subplot, right? Yeah. Um, that whole sequence, and it is very funny. Even now, it's very funny, but back then, yeah. that was the part that I loved in the episode. You know, like. Uh, Homer getting cut off just before saying the swear word. You know, it's like yeah,
0: yeah. Had a recorded swear words, right? Yeah, Every he actually,
1: read it. Is, he recorded the whole thing. He would record the whole thing, and they cut it off in the editing. And that's why it's yeah. funny because it's like you know, it's like Homer. That was a twenty, and he goes like shit, and like and like it, it gets like cut off, right? But I read it. They actually had, they had
0: kids over because it was like their visit to the studio, and he yeah. was recording them. And the kids, they were like eight-year-olds, eight, eight, eight-year-olds. And they were like, oh my God.
1: Right. Yeah, I was seeing the Homer like swear, like one like,
0: shit, fuck. He was swearing like two, like the whole thing, the whole montage. It's like 20 swear words. So that's great. Yeah, that's a great like backstage story. He actually traumatized a few kids in real yeah. life. Homer, that was a 20.
1: Yeah. Oh, you son of a...
0: Hey, Homer, you know, I owe you one, buddy. No sooner had I shaved off the old cookie duster than a lady cast me in a commercial. I'll tell you, the way these checks keep coming in, it's almost criminal. You dirty best! What do you think, Lisa? How's the dog supposed to get in? Well, he just goes... Oh! Oh! <sighs>
1: And I still think it's very funny. I, I I love the way that's built. I love how in the end, because of the therapy of the swear jar, it's actually worked. So that by the time, like, after some time has passed and he's been doing this, like, on a daily basis, it gets to the point where, like, he breaks his finger and he goes, like, oh, fudge. And, like, <laughs> and like he, he steps on a nail. And, the, the, and I love that shot of, like, his foot. So. Like... The, the way it goes like through like it goes through his foot like butter it just goes, like it just like <laughs> yeah. i've always loved the the animation like of the foot stepping on the nail and the nail goes straight through the foot and it's like so like quick and easy and soft <laughs> and i've always like found that really funny and and the fact that he just goes like oh no like a, a fiddle dee dee right and yeah. that's that's how oh, that's still my favorite part of the episode that one part Where Homer is no longer like where he where the swear jar therapies work and now he cannot swear at a moment where it would be completely acceptable for you to swear. Yeah, but it's it's funny. It's basically just for laughs. Yeah, it's there for laughs. It's there for laughs. they're, They're good laughs, but it's a comedy show, you know, and it's also a show that all Simpsons episodes are built that way. You always have a main story. You have the A story. You have the B story. That's usually how it goes.
0: Yeah, so right. what I said, it, sometimes the B story is, like, a lot, you know, it, it's, it's so great, it somehow...
1: That it overshadows uh, the A story. Yeah.
0: But in this case, it just, like, uh, it doesn't really interfere like, in terms of where your attention is focused.
1: Yeah, that is true. This is one of the cases where the A story is very strong, and it's strong enough to really carry the episode. Is there anything else you wanted to mention about this episode?
0: Uh, yeah, I wanted to ask you about the Ernest P. Worrell thing. Ernest needs a kidney, though. The movie uh, Bart watches when he stands yeah. for Bowl.
1: Yeah, it doesn't exist. If that's no, so you you like, were... so, so you're not some okay. So there you go. You you just you told me how you came. You were living in the states in the early nineties. You returned to Bolivia in '92. Is that true? That I get that correctly? Yeah. So I know the character was a reference to that,
0: but it was, it was kind of obscure. It okay. has nothing to do with the rest. Yeah. Of the
1: rest. Yeah. It, it felt. I mean, it's true. It felt obscure to you uh, back in. And if, why wouldn't? Because I'm gonna assume. You're younger than I am. We don't need to give our actual ages, but I do know you're younger than I am.
0: When I saw the character, like I saw his face, it was like, oh, that guy. Now I remember. Right. Yeah, now
1: it seems really obscure. Yeah, well, it's it's yeah, the, you're tough because that's the thing. In 1992, a, a reference to Ernest in 1992 would not have been obscure. Yeah, uh, he, he he was a, a present. He was a presence on TV because of the t- of the TV commercials. That that's how he started out, right? And then, and then of course he had a series of films. And yeah. I, I'd like to take this opportunity, since since he came up in the conversation, to officially say that I, you know, I appreciated Ernest. You know, I I I I, appre- I wouldn't call myself a fan, okay? I, I I wouldn't call myself a fan, and I and I would even say that you know I don't believe in guilty pleasures, but if I had a guilty pleasure, it would be Ernest movies. You know, uh, in the sense that. Like, Ernest Goes to Jail is a genuinely funny movie. Uh, like, uh, I, I would say, sit down and watch Ernest Goes to Jail, and that is a genuinely very funny movie. Um, Ernest Saves Christmas is also a, a genuinely funny and sweet movie. Ernest Saves Christmas. Those two, I would say, are genuinely funny movies. I have a very funny memory about Ernest Goes to Camp, and so I'll, I'll I need to set this up. So back in, like, you know late 80s, early 90s, when I was living in New York, um, there was this thing that I would always do. Like, I I would rent uh, movies that I wanted to watch, and they would usually be horror movies, okay? And I I would rent these movies, I'd take them home, and I would watch them, like, early in the morning. You know, um, usually on weekends, if I was home, like, I'd get up before anybody got up, You know, I'd go out to the living room, and this is, like, I'm talking before the the sun was even out. That's why, like, it was cool for me. Let's say 4.30 in the morning, 5 in the morning. You know, like, I'd go to the living room. I'd pop in the VHS. I'd turn on, like, the sound system, put on headphones so that I wouldn't disturb anyone, right, and sit there and watch the movie, right? And so it was cool if it was, like, a horror movie or, like, a science fiction movie or something like that because, like, in the dark, you know, at 5 in the morning, there was something kind of, like, dangerous about it and creepy. And as a kid, I used to like that. Um, most of the time it was horror movies or action movies or whatever. And sometimes it was just some dumb movie that I'd rented and I wanted to watch and nobody else wanted to watch. Now, like, like my, my dad was of course aware of this. He knew I was doing this. He didn't mind. It wasn't a problem because I didn't disturb anybody. I, like I said, it was with headphones and it's all fine. Um, and so I remember, you know, I had rented a movie. I would rented a couple of movies and I think, uh, and one of the movies was Ernest goes to camp, which is the first Ernest movie. Right. And so we're sitting there. It's it's dinner time. We're like, all right, let's watch the movie. I'm there with my dad, you know, the, my dad and his girlfriend. And we're sitting down in the living room. We're getting ready to watch the movie. We pop in. Ernest goes to camp and it starts. We get about 10 minutes in and my dad turns to me and goes, you know, Eric, I think this is a morning movie. <laughs> he like presses stop on the VHS and like just pulls it out and like uh, puts something else on or whatever. Like my dad couldn't make it 10 minutes into that movie. He's like... Yeah, I think you're gonna be watching this one tomorrow at five in the morning, my friend. Like, like this is not gonna happen. We're not doing this, you know. So, like, that was uh, that. That's that's a uh, that's always in my memory of Ernest. Yeah, but
0: it, it it is like a you know like a '90s reference, like Gordy Howie, right?
1: Yeah, well, he and he's actually because they like for Gordy Howe, like the, the hockey player. Yeah, um, they wanted to use like a an NFL. They wanted to use Johnny Unitas. But they What's couldn't it? get the rights to use – yeah, the NFL. And they couldn't get the rights to use his likeness. So at the last minute, they uh, said, all right, Gordie let's How- put somebody else on, you know, and, and they went with him. Yeah, they, they convinced his wife. That's right. They convinced his wife. like, All right, fine, whatever. You know, and so <laughs> it's it's just funny. But like, they acknowledge that, you know.
0: like no- nobody knows who Gordy Howe is now,
1: right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure that nobody – and I, I'm not even sure – Like hockey is a, is a, is, you know, is a fairly popular sport, but it's not, I I think Uh, it it makes sense that they use hockey and they use a hockey player because it makes sense that, that Mrs. Krabappel would not recognize him. Like if they, if they'd use like a major, you know, let's say basketball or football or even baseball star, right. And that had been who Bart picks, um, it would be a little bit more unbelievable because you go like, "This is a huge," you know. She must recognize, even if she doesn't watch football or you know right. baseball, she would know him from TV or you know, she would be aware of his face. How like street smart Bart can be? Yeah, sure. Because <laughs> like, it's in a sense he goes like, "Yeah, she's not gonna know who this is," and nah. so she like, right? <laughs> and 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 there you go. So like that makes sense. Although, if you think about it, I mean, he cuts the picture out of a. What is it a magazine or like a an out like what 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 is that that he cuts the picture out of? Just like
0: figurines or something like that.
1: It seems like a yeah like either a card thing or like a, or like a magazine that's showing like player stats,
0: uh, like collectibles thing with figurines. No yep. you know like the stickers with the players and one of those it,
1: it it could be a collectible card like uh, you know cards like baseball cards or hockey cards yeah. or whatever. It, it probably is that but that's the part now that it, that's a plot hole because like he cuts this out of like an album or a magazine or something and he, he just puts that there wouldn't she realize that it's cut out of a magazine when she sees the picture
0: maybe it's one of those sports magazines where it, it's like good quality paper
1: <laughs> I guess I get but what like, like the back of it like wouldn't, like, I don't, like I guess it's a plot hole but it's not something that we can really that. yeah I mean we're splitting hairs like it's it's a silly thing to complain about um,
0: <laughs> she wouldn't know his handwriting right
1: she's his teacher that's she right hands- that, yeah he he yeah. hand writes these letters doesn't he and like he? and they're not at no point does does she ever go like she would know it's her student right let's let's for argument's sake let's say she doesn't recognize bart's handwriting okay fine you know, but um, although she, you know, she's seen it frequently enough that she should be able to see us something, you know, familiar there. But even even if she doesn't recognize it specifically as Bart, I'm sure she can still realize that this looks like the handwriting of a child. I think that's a wasted opportunity. I think it's a wasted opportunity for a, for a joke, though, where it could have been like, uh, where Miss Krabappel could have been commenting, "Oh yeah, he's great. He writes these amazing things, and um, and he's very handsome." But god he- he his handwriting is awful he he writes like a kid <laughs> like, like like that that would have been that would have been a funny joke. I'm surprised they didn't actually go there
0: part of her was in denial, I think because she would have known like the picture was cut out from a magazine and like the it was a kid's handwriting, and who's called Woodrow I mean she just <laughs> really wanted to believe that was gonna happen, you know.
1: Yeah, I, I think uh, that that's also a good point. That she she so desperately needs this and wants to believe this, even though yeah. like all, everything about it just seems like too good to be true, and uh, there there are signs everywhere that there's something fishy about this. Even so, she surrenders to it. She surrenders to the reality of it and uh, just accepts it. Dearest Edna, I must leave you. Why? I
0: cannot say. Where? you cannot know how I will get there. I haven't decided yet, but one thing I can tell you. Anytime
1: I hear the wind blow, it will whisper the name
0: Edna. Oh.
1: So that's it for this week's installment of The Simpsons Countdown. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this, consider showing your support. It's really very simple. You give us a like. You give us a favorable rating. It's podcast is available on Apple, Spotify, Anchor FM, and other podcasting platforms. You Just have to add a little brief review if possible, and that might actually help boost the podcast's profile. And if it's in too much trouble, please do share this with all your friends on social media. You can follow the Eric's Antoine Network on Facebook or subscribe to it on YouTube. You can also follow me on Twitter at Eric's Antoine Net, and feel free to find me and follow me on Letterboxd, where I frequently post film reviews that you may or may not agree with. That is up to you. I'm Eric's Antoine. I'll be back next week to talk about Homer at the Bat, a truly classic episode about the big company softball game and how Burns recruits actual star players and the nine misfortunes and Pitt the Elder versus Lord Palmerston and all that great stuff. So I hope you'll join us for that. In the meantime, stay safe out there, get vaccinated as soon as you can, and I'll see you soon.
0: I just love these outer space movies, don't you? This is my all-time favorite one, too. This is called Attack of the Moon, people. And this is where the evil Vendor sends his... shh